resolve, how we need to be resolved to serve the Lord, even when evil comes charging in our way, in a, in a sense of a, a vision of that, of being put in a corner, and uh, to, to stand, and to learn to say never to the devil's compromises, no matter what the consequences. You know, I believe the early church was a lot of times put in very severe corners with very severe consequences. You know, it was good to see the U.S. Supreme Court, if I could state this right, I don't know how the official stating is, but repeal the Roe versus Wade decision, which was prohibiting, which was really prohibiting states to make abortions illegal. And I'm glad to see that several states are quickly moving forward to make laws against abortions in their respective states. However, the battle is not won. Uh, you might say it's just beginning again. Last week we learned how to gird our mind, how it's a personal responsibility and the last, very last defense upon an advancing enemy who's aggressively pushing us into that, into that corner. This week, I want to talk about, and if we kind of keep the World War II vision in mind, after there was a great escape, God made a way out there, and when the battle began, one of the things that you need to do as an army is to, uh, to build your walls of defense, okay? And what we must realize is that as Christians, we have defensive walls, but we have weaknesses, okay? The enemy is going to attack your weaknesses. That's strategy. The devil wants to attack where you are weak at. And so what I want to talk to you about in this message is some of those weak areas, okay? We're going to have them. It's a battle. We don't... We're going to be battling till, till the end, folks. Um, so uh, we need to learn how to, uh, what I would say maybe in the sense of uh, Nehemiah and, and the walls of repairing the breaches, okay? Um, and then next week I plan to talk on how to battle offensively, okay? Which I think you'll find is, is very interesting. But defensively, our walls, our walls against sin, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, so let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for, again, for your word that clears things up for us that we can, uh, that we can believe in, that we can trust. But Father, we find ourselves in a mess many times. Well, God, as we battle in this life, and as the enemy seeks to find holes in our defense, well, God, may we recognize them and be able to do something about them to keep the enemy out. And now, Father, I just pray you bless this message, and uh, may you uh, help us in our lives this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, like I said, the last few weeks, you know, I've felt impelled that, you know, all of us are, are, are being pushed, pushed upon. Um, 
by, by Satan in different, different avenues and different aspects. There's just a lot of pressure going on with all, all of us. It's not like this peaceful <laughs> time that we have. Um, it's a battle. And so as I sought the Lord this morning, um, these are the, the thoughts that, that came to mind and a thought of the walls that we need to have and, and, and not, not just the walls, but realizing, and this is the important part because I think we don't realize, we don't acknowledge where our weak areas are. And when we don't do that, that is the weak area and that is where Satan comes in. There's some definite areas of weakness in a Christian's life. These are just the ones I came up with within the time that God allowed me to prepare this message. But again, the first defensive strategy is to recognize them. Ignorance is not bliss in this situation. We must identify and seal off these areas lest we become infested like a house full of mice. And there's a personal tone to that. I've been fighting mice here uh, lately. It's been kind of interesting. I'll tell you those funny stories later if you like. You know, sin looks for cracks into our life and seeks to enter it. Let me give you the first one. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Some familiar scriptures here. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And uh, I'm going to label this one the breach of lust. The breach of lust. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, and then she says something interesting here. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God knoweth that it in the day ye eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now it's recorded in the Bible that God said that Adam and his woman or his wife, you know, she wasn't named Eve until later, that they could not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did he, did he say that? Well, there was only one thing recorded about that, of what God said. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But lest we be simple in our reading, could God have said that to them, to not even touch the tree, but just not recorded in the scripture? I say, sure, it could be. There's nothing to say that they, he did not say that or any emphasis on it. 
I don't believe that the woman lied when she said that God told them not to even touch it. Because to me, I would think that's where sin would have entered in and things would have happened right then. I say that for another reason. Also, in the infancy stage of humankind, there was not a lot of disciplines that were developed in that age of innocency. I believe God knew that if they touched it, they had already lusted after it. And once they had, it would be nothing to stop them from eating it. The old saying, you know, kind of like you give your kid this ice cream and say, here, hold it, don't, don't eat it, don't, don't lick it. Of course, they're going to find some reason that thing was dripping. Mom, I had to lick it, you know. I believe God knew. Once they got their, their hands on it, there was no stopping it uh, from, from that continuing. James 1.3 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Sounding familiar here. Then when lust hath conceived, after it's conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, we need to recognize that we are beings susceptible to lust and can be enticed. I mean, just the things of this life and the things we love and the things we enjoy, we can, we can be drawn away of our lust. It's, it's very clear. That's one breach that we need to be very, very careful of. What, are, what is our love around? I mean, it can be easily uh, into the things of this life. There's also the breach of ease. Turn to 2 Samuel, if you would. 2 Samuel, I won't spend a lot of time waiting for you. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, and beginning in verse 1, very familiar portion of Scripture. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. We need to realize that there's times where we may take ease in our life. Beware of that time. When we shirk off responsibilities to work, hey, we got a little bit of money and we can kind of take our ease and we kind of have that thought of I work so I can enjoy, okay? We set our life to take its ease. Our fleshly appetites begin to grow in those times and we look to fill them that's what happens 
all of a sudden, we start to think about all those things. And all of a sudden, we start to be feeling really good. And all of a sudden, that is a breach in our wall of defense against sin. There's a saying, idle hands are a devil's workshop. That's a, a pretty good, simple, straightforward saying. You know, I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. When you are married and raising children, which is most of the people here, God gives you a gift to stay out of trouble, busyness. When you begin to complain of how busy you are, remember it is a gift from God that tames your fleshly appetites. It's good to be busy. Don't complain about it. That's the breach of ease we need to be careful about. Now, if you would, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Looks like we're picking on David today again. Beginning in verse 1, 2 Samuel 24, 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now, the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Now skip down to verse 8. Skip down to verse 8. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now, my math is right, that's 1.3 million. And it says, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. I want you to think about this. He numbered them. How many months was it? There was several months of this <laughs> census going on. And it's at this later time that all of a sudden he says, I've sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, I want to label this the breach of life's transitions. The breach of life's transitions. The Bible tells us, you know, that we are to walk circumspectly. Now, we learn what that was, that circumspectly, you know, it means to, you know, circumference, to be aware of everything that's going around you. We are to be aware of our surroundings. We are to realize that we are in a spiritual battle every day. You know, <laughs> a simple thing. Um, when you pitch softball, and I'll be pitching some softball this year, apparently. You pitch, and you get involved, and you realize, okay, that the ball can come back at you very quickly <laughs> and at very difficult areas 
okay? And you try to remember that every time you pitch. But there's always that time where you just blip. You just forget. And all of a sudden, that ball comes up and gets the best of you, put it that way. You know, we always need to be aware. You know, I was looking at the chronological Bible, and I know it's not perfect, um, the one that I have anyway. It appears that just prior to David numbering the people, David was at a very great age. David and his army was in their last war with the Philistines. They were fighting giants, guys with six fingers and toes. They were the sons of Goliath, and one of them was Goliath's brother. David had waxed faint in the battle. Okay, this is just before he numbers the people. Just think about this. And he was going to be killed. The Philistine had him. But Abishai killed the assailant and saved David. At this point, David's men, and I can, I can just imagine this. You imagine this as a dad. Your, your boys come to protect you. Dad, you don't need to be doing this. You know? At some point, they're going to say, Dad, don't pitch softball anymore. You, you don't need to be doing that. Just coach. Just coach. Okay. And basically, the men of war said, you know, and they loved David. And they said, you know, time's come. No more battles for you. You need to be off the battlefield. What a time of life when you retire or somebody retires you. You've been moved off the battlefield. What you did all your life. You know, we could kind of easily see this like professional athletes you know, because they're a lot younger a lot of times when they retire because they just can't compete anymore at that level. And they're playing their last game. And then they have to find some other thing to do with their life. That's a transition. That's a tough transition. There's The devil loves to come in areas of transitions in your life. We should be even more careful to walk circumspectly and change. No matter what the change, though, the principles of serving God never changes. David, having retired from the battlefield, seemed to have a senior moment, I'd call it, having put his strength in the numbers. He knew better. And even after Joab, the captain of the host, warned him, he persisted in his command to number the people. Now, this is just conjecture. But I think you can see that this is quite common in situations. And I can't say for sure, but perhaps David was caught in the emotions of his stepping off the battlefield, and he made a decision. No longer am I battling, but nobody's going to tell me how to do this. I can still do this. I mean, he might have got caught up in that emotion. I see that, and if my boss was here, I would be okay to to talk to him about it, but he, you know, he's going through, he's getting older. It's becoming more difficult for him to make good decisions, to listen, and, and different, different things. Yet, I see in a human response sometimes, all the more, he might want to step up on that platform and rule. It's just, you see where things can come in and, and transitions, because it's it's not a normal thing. So if you're going through a transition, you better real, just realize it and be weary. Be weary of, of how you respond to 
to things. Now let me go through another breach. Call it the breach of pride. Let's look at Daniel chapter 4. Again, these are pretty familiar stories. But all these things, you know, when the tough gets going, when you're in battle, these are the things, these are the areas where Satan looks uh, to, to come in and to destroy through your walls of defense. But there's the breach of pride. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. And it said, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. That was the, the story, the, the visions there that Daniel had told him what was going to happen to him. And at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of, by the might of my power? and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Verse 34, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom Mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Pride is perhaps the biggest weakness or breach in our walls of defense against sin. It's the easiest area for Satan to enter in at. Remember that I told you that extensive work is good while you're raising a family. There's a benefit along the way when you do that right. And, and if you're serving God, you're going to find some things that happen that you may not realize while you're in the midst of it. You may get promotions. You may start your own business. You may become well-respected in your church, in your community. You may have years of putting into your 401k and have gathered uh, land, housing, and equipment. Or you may have a large congregation as a pastor. Or have many years under your belt as a missionary with children surrendered to God's work in various places. Success can come in many forms. Here's the problem. 
you look up one day and say, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done. And it could be spiritual. I mean, bragging uh, is big. I mean, we all want to feel good about ourselves and what we do. You may not verbalize it. And you probably, if you're thinking about it, you probably know people like this. You say, but it surely comes out in their look where others see (laughs) and choke on it. Proverbs 6.16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. The very first one, a proud look. I'll read the rest. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift, in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. That's a bad list right there. You know, we've got to realize, you know, as I've been real close to Tim and Esther and seeing how things have been progressing, and they'll just we just need to be careful, just praise the Lord for how he's worked things out. I mean, there's so many things you look at it and well, we were going to do this, but this changed, and all of a sudden we did this, which I'm glad we never did that, you know, and all these sort of things. You know, you can either sit there and say, boy, look how wise I was in putting all this together. Man, we better never do that. Just the Lord did that. Just praise him and thank him. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he did. At first, he said, look what all I did. At the end, though, he realized it's everything that God did. So that's a breach that we need to be careful of. Now here's an interesting breach. The breach of overzealousness. If you want, turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Just a few verses here. And again, these are going to be very familiar. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon... Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And listen to what Peter says. This is just pure Peter here. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And then the Lord says to him in verse 34, And he said, I tell thee, Peter, The cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You could put a few different labels on Peter's character flaws. And, you know, we we pick on Peter a lot of times. We pick on David. They were great men. Okay. But these flaws can come out of a good heart and a right thing. You know, we are to have zeal. We are to have a zeal to serve God. But overzealousness is a trap that the devil is well aware of, and Satan had Peter in his clutch. Firemen and policemen are right to be zealous in their jobs, but overzealousness can be fatal. You need to be careful. If there's one thing I kind of try to like, warn my wife about, she's very zealous to serve the Lord. But there's a point where it's not your responsibility anymore. And you you start to cross that line, you start to get in fire that you don't belong. You know, I think we could be 
I think sometimes if we go out and witness, if we're overzealous, we could get over the top and we can say things. But you know, that's the Lord's job. If we just have a heart to love people and to give them the gospel, it'll be evident where that's going. But we can go over the top of that and we could just walk right on top of them. Okay? And we can be overzealous. I think we can even actually do damage that way. You know, I try to be aware when I'm on a spiritual high. We all get there. Man, where Lord's working, man, you're singing, you're happy, you've got the world, just you feel like you got it at the clutches and you start talking to somebody and you just get, you forget them and you just talk right over the top of them and you end up injuring somebody. I've been there, done that. I've been rebuked at times, you know, because I've just let my spirituality think, you know, that I'm just riding on that. Um, I don't know how to explain that. Now, hopefully, maybe you, you understand where that is. But you've got to watch the highs in life because it, it, it can, you know, it can make you somebody who's suffering and you crack a joke at them. That's the kind of things that happen when you're overzealous. You need to remember there's a big breach in that. When you get up there, be careful. Be careful. You may need to calm down and, and get settled in when you're dealing with situations and with people there. Look at Peter. Peter was constantly in that. You can't knock the zealousness, you can, but you've got to watch. There's an extent of being overzealous. All right, I'm going to end with the uh, last one here. And that's the breach of lost physical sustenance. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, should be close there in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then when Jesus was Jesus, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, and I'm going to stop right there on this point, because the whole thing is, as Satan came to him when Jesus was at his lowest point physically. And, and when you look at the temptations, you think, why would God be tempted with all that? But remember, Jesus was also man. He was tempted in all points like as we were. So he knows what it is in that flesh, in that feeling, in that battle. It says, but yet without sin. The devil knows when we're weak or have a breach in our flesh. Sometimes we get hangry. I thought... I invented that word a while ago, but that word's been out there. You know, you're hungry, you're so hungry, you get angry. And now, I used to be the kind of person I... People didn't like traveling with me because, like, we go out to a, a place, and I was all about getting the job done. I just skip lunch altogether because I was just trying to get things done on time. Where, you know, the other guy's like, are we going to eat lunch, you know? And, you know, I just forget now... I'm getting to the point now, though, that things have changed in, in my body. 
Sometimes I get hungry and I, I have to eat. I'm getting a little more understanding with some other people who seem to focus, all, all they focus on is eating <laughs> to me. But, you know, maybe there's some things about that. And, and I know with me physically right now, and I, I, I recognize I start to get a little grumpy, grouchy. But we need to recognize that. That's, that's an area that the devil wants to get in. Oh, man, he, he, he can poke on you there and you can say the wrong things. How about when we're sick? Esther is battling. She has got a really bad sore throat. I know if you ever get sick and you're, the tendency is to get a really bad sore throat, it's miserable. And she's miserable. And she's trying. But it's difficult. Sometimes we're mentally challenged. That happens more and more with me <laughs> as I get older about some things. Just can't remember things or just, just whatever, whatever's going on. Or that we're physically challenged. You know, you uh, twist an ankle or whatever and you can't get around and, you know, you need to do things. Other times when relationships are challenged, sometimes our intimacy is challenged in life. And we need to be careful. Those are areas where breaches can be. 1 Corinthians 7.5 says, Defraud ye not one another, except it be for consent. Be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Is that what we do? We get together, we say, oh, there's a time here, this isn't going to work out, we're going to fast and pray. I don't know about you, but that's not common in my life. It should be. But this is what the Bible says. Because it says that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. In other words, he's looking for that, that breach right there. And that's a bad breach right there, folks. You know, the devil's greatest temptation to Jesus to sin was when he had Jesus at his worst physical state. When he was on the cross, the bulls of Bashan. The, when he was in the desert and fasted, he was upon him. We need to be aware of those things. You know, it's good to recognize these and to remember to give your very best at your very worst. Lust. Ease of life. These are all breach areas. Transitions in life. Pride. Overzealousness. Or physical, mental changes. We're all going to go through these seasons in life. We need to recognize them and build up those walls of defense. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll end the message here. We're in battle, and it gets tough. We need to see that we have these weaknesses and shore them up and not let the enemy advance into our territory. 
men of the Bible had these situations. They're no different than we are in our situations. May we learn from them. And so, Father, I pray that you'd keep this reminder to us. I think these are all things you know in life. But may we bring it to the top of our minds and may we build our defense walls against the enemy. For these are preventative. And so, Father, we just want to tell you we love you this afternoon. Just pray for your blessings on close to home service. Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them. Lord God, as we talk about John chapter 3. And Father, that they might understand clearly what salvation is. And so, Father, just pray for them. Pray for each family as we go our ways this afternoon. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.